Hey there, and thanks for tuning in to Let Freedom Reign podcast. Before we get started, I just want to let you know, this episode is brought to you by Buckaroo Media, a digital marketing company that focuses on social media that cultivates relationships between brands and their customers. Buckaroo Media prides themselves on building genuine and authentic connections. Digital marketing doesn't have to be overwhelming or overly time-consuming. With Buckaroo Media on your team, you're free to focus on the areas of your business which you're most passionate about, and let Buckaroo Media handle the rest. Check them out on Instagram at buckaroo.media or Facebook at Buckaroo Media. For more information about Buckaroo Media and how they can grow your Western brand, visit buckaroomedia.com. B-U-C-K-A-R-O-O-M-E-D-I-A.com. Hey everybody, I'm Jason, your host of Let Freedom Reign, an equine industry leading podcast that talks to folks from all different walks of life who share their testimony of adversities and perseverance and how the horse has helped them through their journey. Stay tuned. We're going to have a great time. Come along for the ride. Welcome everybody to another week here at Let Freedom Reign podcast. Our guest this week is renowned Canadian horseman Josh Nickel. In this episode, we really dive into his brand of horsemanship known as relational horsemanship. Throughout the episode, we spend a lot of time on how to develop that relationship with your horse and its direct impact in the relationship you have in your life. Now, should you find the content of this episode valuable, please share it with a friend. And you can find us on Facebook and Instagram under Let Freedom Reign Podcast. We sure hope our American fan base was able to enjoy Thanksgiving, and we hate to keep you all waiting any longer. Here is our conversation with Canadian horseman, Josh Nickel tromping around the bush with me this this fall which has been fun i was gonna say you can always tell watching social media you don't even have to pay attention to the hunting calendars right you know when deer season shows up or duck season shows up because all of a sudden social media is just (laughs) inundated with everybody's harvests or successful hunts yeah exactly the way i find it it's like guys disappear and all of a sudden reappear (laughs) yeah it's true (laughs) it's true sometimes life just stops right until we have that successful hunt in Alberta, we actually had last week off, so they they cancel school now because so many kids are getting pulled out of school. Oh, really? So they get a week off, which is fun. That's pretty impressive. I like that. <laughs> <laughs> Saves you the hassle having to make up the school on the back end. That's right. Well, we started homeschooling this year, which has been pretty amazing. Oh, cool. How is that going? Oh, it's amazing, actually. It kind of makes makes uh, makes you change the way you look at at raising your kids, you know, and most of the situations when we were in the public system, our kids were just uh, getting kind of getting taught by by somebody else. And you kind of just handed that off. Mm-hmm. And uh, now, man, we just see the depth of learning in every area, you know, you're whether it's working the horses or, or taking care of, you know, changing the oil on something or, or out hunting, and then you kill something or, or you know, you see in the digestive systems. And you know, like, there's just there's learning in every area of life. And, and then uh, becoming my kids' mentors probably is my biggest piece. You know, that's, I say, uh, what a blessing is that? Holy smokes! I can't even tell you. It's got its challenges this year, just trying to get it figured out. But um, we've been just tremendously blessed with uh, you know being able to be a part of their lives more, and then and then being their mentors. You know, I think that's that's a that's a thing for us. So I was yeah. going to say, I think that's one aspect of life that we're starting to lose is that everybody's yeah. tied up with the social media and instant gratification side of life that we forget to take something under our wing, you know, and oftentimes as parents, that's your child that you forget about, right? Because you're so focused on your career, your own success or whatever it may be. And then that kid gets soaked up into social media and electronics and the separation takes place. And it's, 
it's kind of hard to mend at that point. But I've talked to quite a few families that have gone the uh, homeschool route, and they they talk about the exact same thing. How yeah. the actual academic portion of it is just so much more focused and concentrated. It's in such a greater depth, and then you talk about the direct application from learning in life, right, to to the the academic or book side of it. It's just the improvement is tenfold. So it's cool uh-huh. to hear another supporting family of it. Yeah, yeah, you bet. Well, it's just been it's been great, and and the the changes in our kids has been amazing because they're they're not being you know just just getting mentored by a bunch of other kids their age is is just not a super wise idea. You yeah. know, you want them to socialize, but but the mentorship is the key. You know, mm-hmm. uh, it's mm-hmm. massive. So good stuff. Yeah. Good stuff. So today we're going to spend a lot of time talking about uh, your perspective on horsemanship and your journey through it and. And the reason I thought you'd be a great guest here on the show is because you 100% pursue the relationship with the horse and how that directly relates to life and and some of your human relationships. So I'd like to start with uh, your start with horses, kind of how you fell into it. And and when was that first moment, right, that we first started to realize that there's a little bit more here that I need to pursue. There's a little bit more here that I need to to spend time on. Yeah, for sure. Um, Yeah, I was born in... Ontario, actually, uh, Northern Ontario, we're way up in the middle of nowhere. My dad was a logger and, uh, we lived, um, just in a tiny little house. Um, and we didn't really have access to a lot. So we spent a huge amount of our lives outside and we had, we had horses around, we had animals kind of, uh, you know, a small little farm there. Uh, but I spent most of my time kind of out, out in the bush and always had these neat desires to try to you know, see if I could get close to stuff and was never into, you know, hunting at that point in my life, but I was just always engaged or curious by connecting with animals. Um, we moved to Alberta in 92. Uh, and that was really where the horse thing took off. It was really funny because we had horses and I, I would work with them and ride them, but it wasn't until I got to Alberta that we actually considered kind of training a horse. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. It was kind of a fun transition. There was people here, you know, everybody had horses and everybody was doing stuff with them. So it was a whole different community. Um, a couple of years later, uh, there was a lady by the name of Deb Bennett who was doing a clinic in Cochrane. And so a few of us went down there. I don't really exactly remember why, but I think I was 14. And uh, we had, I didn't have a horse then, or I didn't have, we didn't have a horse trailer, excuse me. We had a couple horses at the place. We went down there and, um, rode in her clinic and I rode on this old sour mare and uh that's probably a pretty enjoyable experience (laughs) I I just at that stage of my life I didn't even really know yeah I just knew I wanted to be with them you know I didn't I just I didn't know anything and uh I was just absolutely engaged by Deb she was a she's a of just a vast you know her the knowledge level that she has is just immense so I ended up just listening to her and spending time with her in the evenings and um and at the end she she's she's a pretty blunt lady and she told my parents that if you don't do something with him then you're stupid and uh that was kind of a bit of a shock to us kind of you know I didn't really think that you know what I was presenting to horses really was anything Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so then she told us that you know there's a couple different people I should go and see and so we did honestly my my parents are amazing they've they've been my biggest supporters the whole time. And, and as long as I put every penny I had into what we were doing, they were happy to have my back. So, um, that fall or the next summer, I think we went down to Elko, Nevada to see Tom Dorrance. And, uh, 
you know, that was really where my base came on just this concept that, that you don't, you don't have to be in a big rush and you don't, and there's, you know, by understanding the animal, you can, you know, really get going in a, in a very positive way. And that was, that was just a sweet base for me because I never got caught up in the, that you had to do it fast to be impressive. Yeah. Yeah. You know, that the level of relationship was impressive, right? So, um, and then I, it was hilarious because I tried to, you know, I ended up talking to Tom and wanted to apprentice with him and he was, you know, he was in his 80s or late 70s by then and he just kind of laughed at me and, you know, it didn't quite play out like I was thinking, but then, uh, <laughs> you know, got to spend some time with him and watch him and, and then from there, I actually went to ride with Harry Whitney and, uh, you know, I was a pretty keen kid, so I wasn't afraid to, you know, jump right in there and, you know, and ask questions and and get involved. And so I went down to the next summer. We went down to see Harry. He was teaching in Montana, and uh, yeah, I think I was fifteen. And went right up to the round pen. He sat down there beside him, and you know, was just listening. Everyone else was kind of up in the crowd, and <laughs> I got in there as close as I could, and started asking questions and you know and I told him I said if there was anything I could do to help I'd be glad to help and then it was probably 20 minutes and he had me on a colt and uh no this, kidding this awesome. yeah it was pretty great and so you know I don't know I don't I don't just a one of those deals you know the stars aligned and God's blessing was kind of on it and um yeah so from there I ended up kind of riding with him and and so for about a three-year period um actually excuse me uh, I guess something I missed is I, uh, the year, so when I was 14, I went to see, see Deb. Then when I was at Tom's, I met some buckaroos in Nevada and then I went and started horses at their ranch when mm-hmm. I was 15. Mm-hmm. So in that, that period I went and went down and it was, you know, you're pretty, you're bringing in, you know, very much so untouched horses and, uh, doing whatever you can with them. Spent the summer doing that. And then that fall we went to see Harry. So um, it was a very humbling experience, probably one of the best things a 15 year old could have ever got because, you know, anything you kind of think, you know, you're, you're getting pretty humbled by. So, um, I think I got my hands on about nine of them and I think I got four or five started. Um, I'm not sure what I would think of what that looked like now, but, uh, we got kind of got something done. But experience nonetheless, right? There's still value there. Huge value, huge value, mostly about humility which is well, I was going to say being 15 years old right you're on top of the world anyway you know totally. there's nothing anybody can tell you there's nothing anybody can teach you and then uh yeah. you try this whole horse thing and then they put you in your place and you understand yeah. where you are in the pecking order <laughs> that's right. exactly and 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 that was it exactly so then I went went with Harry and uh ended up riding with him for about a year throughout a three-year period so I went for one one summer for two months and I just slept in the back of his horse trailer and I crawled on absolutely everything I could. Um, and then I went with him for about eight months. Again, same deal. And then another two months. Um, and, uh, yeah, met lots of people, you know, got to connect with piles of horses. Um, you know, and, and I was itchy all the time to crawl on whatever Harry would put me on. And uh, so he would, you know, sometimes he'd, he'd put me on stuff pretty quick. And other times, you know, it would be quite a while. But, um yeah, I just tried to make myself available and was, you know, that was a real blessing because it just allowed me to get involved in a lot of places. So I want to develop uh, the idea of mentorship. It's kind of funny that we started the conversation talking about it as far as homeschooling goes and becoming a mentor yeah. for your children. Yet you talk about this experience here where where 
you're in your formidable years of not only life, but in horsemanship as well. And, and tell us about the experience of having a mentor like that. I mean, being 15 years old and grabbing every horse you can get your hands on is a lot different on your own, trying to learn those lessons versus having the support of somebody who's established in, in many miles down the road that you're trying to travel. Oh, you know, I honestly can't say enough for it. Harry, Harry in himself is, is an amazing person. You know, he is, uh, um, a man who's, you know, trying to try and honor God with his life and, and then also, you know, figure out what that means in riding horses. So, you know, I, I was, I was mentored on a lot of levels, you know, we spent a lot of time going down the road and, you know, and, and I was this whole idea of what it meant to be a man was, was a primary effect to him. You know, he didn't necessarily, you know, he knew my age and I also was, uh, a pretty strong kid and you know he took me on and and I think that he he yeah he was a big guide in in a lot of of uh my viewpoints my the way I define my life you know just in regards to uh yeah shaping shaping out uh part of what it was to be a man that was a, a big deal a big deal I often look back at that and I think that Harry's influence at that stage in my life was only a small portion of horses. <laughs> I was going to say it probably dictated more, and you're probably learning this the farther you get in life, right? It probably dictated more in your life than it did in your horsemanship for the simple fact is that you're at that age where most of us hit that fork in the road at some point. And unfortunately, some of us fall down the wrong path and got to dig our way back up. And others yeah. are have the fortune of a mentor and kind of get steered in the right direction. So... Yeah, a huge blessing in your regard to save you kind of some of those years of headache, maybe. Oh, huge! You know, and, and I was a strong kid, and the fact that I couldn't go anywhere and I had to sleep in horse trailer, you know, it is <laughs> it, pretty good, right? You, yeah. can't, you can't take off because we rolled all over North America. You know, yeah, it keeps your focus. You bet. Absolutely. Um, yeah, yeah, and then from there, I I uh, I met so many people, and I had people asking me all the time to want to help them. And, um, actually it was a kind of a big deal. Um, when I finished up with Harry, the last thing we did is I, I went to Fort Worth with him when there was, uh, when Tom, Tom Dorrance had his heart bypass and, uh, um, Ray did a deal where he brought in uh, pretty near any clinician or any guy who had had any effect or Tom had had any effect in their lives. And it was a massive deal. There was a pile of guys there. And that was kind of the beginning of the, uh, that was the end of my time with Harry, but it was kind of the beginning of the next phase of my life. And so I got to see, you know, well, anybody that Tom had had a positive effect on. So mm-hmm. there was guys, you know, from Buck all the way over to, to Pat Prelly to, you know, they're just, just crazy. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was a crazy finish for me because it was, again, very humbling because you see all these guys out there doing this and it made me feel pretty small, you know, not, yeah. not at that stage of my life. Right. And so I think that was another really good spot, but what it did is it stopped me from wanting to teach at all. I didn't want to teach anybody and I just wanted to cowboy. So I wanted to get out and ride a bunch of horses and work cattle. And I had this idea of getting, getting educated or going somewhere for school. And so anyways, I, I finished up with Harry at that point and, uh, was pretty neat to, to see as many people. I, I, was able to visit with lots of those guys. And, you know, there's piles of stories there about different people I've met and got to ride with and hang out with. But, um, so from there, I actually had a big choice. Was I going to go and cowboy at a ranch or was I going to try to go to school? 
And um, so I decided that I was going to go to school. So I actually went um, to university and got a science degree with concentrations in biology, economics, and environmental studies. And I was intending to build some kind of a consulting business. But in the process, every time I would come home for summer, um, people were wanting me to wanting me to teach. You know, our phone was constantly ringing with people wanting me to help them, and it was just kind of it. It actually, at that point in my life, it kind of became annoying because I didn't it wasn't what I wanted to do. Yeah. Um. So I think it was the second year of university. Um, my dad worked at the pulp mill, and I was actually being a tour guide. I was a tour guide at the pulp mill because <laughs> they would they would pay the kids a little bit more just as kind of a family benefit or whatever. Yeah, yeah. So, and I was trying to pay for my university every year that I was going, I was trying to get it all paid off and I was pretty successful at uh, doing whatever I needed to do. Um, and then at one point I came home and uh, um, my, the phone had been ringing or whatever. And there was a bunch of people asking me to go and teach. And I said, well, if you could fill, you know, half my summer in one day, I'll do it. And, uh, we we did that. My mom was. <laughs> it, it just filled right up. He said, "Here because, we go." Yeah, I never wanted to be a guy that's trying to kind of pedal for this. I, I just felt like there's so many great guys out there that I never wanted to be somebody who's trying to force myself into the spot or into the industry or whatever. I'd, I'd rather just go ride horses and do that. Yeah. Anyways, then the next year came along, and I and I said, you know, the, uh, the clinics went really well. We had lots of lots of fun. I felt like it went good, and. um I said to my, cause my mom said, there's more people, you know, it's kind of happening more now. And so I said, if you can fill every single weekend, um, then I'll do it. But if not, then I'm done and I'm not, not playing games here. So, so the next year I worked at the Pulp Mill four days a week and then I clinic every single weekend. Oh man, what a schedule. It was pretty crazy, but I, and I kind of, you know, I put my, I kind of put my word to it and then, cause I didn't actually think it was going to happen. And then the following season, what I did is I actually stopped working at the mill and I just started teaching full time. So I started, uh, yeah, I just started teaching and I guess it turned into the form of a clinic and then, yeah, the rest is kind of history. You know, I've, uh, it's been an amazing journey, but it kind of became my full time deal and people really like my style and how I teach and my horsemanship. Um, and uh, yeah, I tried to tried to really prioritize. I feel like you know it's really important right now that you're not just a good rider and you're not just a good teacher. I feel like today you need to you need to be able to handle both sides of the coin. There's a lot until- to that, you know. And I think, in listening to your story, I think it's incredible, and I have huge respect for your respect of the the gentleman that paved the path for you. And and I often feel the same way, right? Uh, people ask for help and you help where you can, if you can, and, and they're successful and they buy into it. But for Mm. me personally, I, I, I'm of the same mindset. Like, I don't know. I just need to be a little bit more confident in my education, a little bit more proficient in all of it before I step off on my own for the simple fact is that there's plenty of great horsemen. Nobody needs to come to me. Right. Um, and I don't want to dilute the industry with my veil attempt at being a, a professional horseman. Sure. So, yeah. so that's where the the pursuit of education, you know, is kind of driven in my regard. Um, mm. But in the same sense, you talked a lot about, you know, housing and having this great education and horsemanship does nothing if you can't relate to the people who you're trying yeah. to teach this message to, right? And yeah. and to be effective, you you have to be high performing on both sides of the fence. You can't be yeah. so great with people and not know the first thing about horses because that's how a lot of people get into these messes, right? Somebody can sell snow to a snowman. They don't know the first thing about anything. And now folks are getting hurt and horses are getting blown up. 
sir. Well, on the flip side of that, we have plenty of great horsemen out there that have a hard time saying hello to somebody, you know, and kind yeah. of lacking the in the people skills. So for yeah. you, what is this something that kind of came natural to you or is this something you had to work at on either side of the fence? As far as the horsemanship, I know we kind of covered that, but yeah. uh, uh, let's talk a little bit about your kind of your teaching methods and your approach as far as getting across to folks. Yeah. You know, I would say myself personally, I, I, I struggled in, you know, in that spotlight. I, mm-hmm. I, I wasn't, it just didn't come natural to me. I wasn't a salesman and I actually, you know, coming from the crew I came from, none of those boys, you know, if you, if you were to, you know, they were all more backwoods cowboys, you know, so there was not this uh, heavy presence towards selling anything or, you know, yeah. you know let's just get it done. Yeah. Grandizing yourself on any scale, you know, it was, uh, so, so it took me a bit of time to try to kind of find that. Um, but what, ha- what, ha- what hit me a lot is that what I really found, cause I, cause I, I think I'm coming into the industry at kind of a, a transition phase. Um, look back now, it's, it's been over tw- 20, I guess, since I kind of started, I, it's been almost 25 years, I guess, but, um, you know, you're going through a phase where that was exactly what was going on is you see a lot of guys that could really work the horses, but, but actually then, and there was a lot of talk about that where, you know, we're, you know, we're really trying to advocate for the horses, but then, you know, if people weren't helped, then that wasn't end up helping the horses. So it took me a long time to kind of sort that through. And, and I, myself, am I, I'm really relational person. I, I don't do very well in environments when relationships are not being taken care of. I don't have the ability to just turn it off and not care about folks. And I think that's what drives my desire to have better relationships with horses too, because I, I can't just, I don't have it in me to just kind of force my way or dominate my way through a horse to kind of get them to do what I want and feel any level of satisfaction about that. So with this process of kind of seeing that, you know, people have to be a heavy priority in helping horses. And then when you really help horses, it helps people and that just deepens relationships. So, yeah. so that really pushed me to, you know, really pursuing what it meant to to find my own center and 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 be at peace within myself. That that's a full that's a full scale journey, like full out. I am pursuing that every day to to understand why I'm here. You know what what it means to to live a happy and peaceful life where I have something to offer people and horses, and then continuously to understand better what it means to offer a horse a deal that they desire. Because I think that's another thing, like, you know, this whole scope of the difference between leadership and dominance. Yes. I talk about that all the time. But, you know, just just to dominate a horse, you can maybe get something done quick. But then you're starting to lose that relational piece, which I feel like every person desires on this earth. We're kind of here for relational reasoning. And we start losing it just to kind of to speed the process up. Um that kind of takes me into another area of my training, which is about how we interpret things. So a lot of times, you know, you can look at what a horse does and one person would interpret that, that the horse is being bad or trying to get away with things. And on the other hand, you could have another person who sees that as just a horse who's, um, you know, doesn't have the right needs met or, you know, my, this relational style that I try to present speaks specifically to most struggles that horses have is because there's an unmet need. And when you meet that need, it creates peace. And if you're not meeting that need, then the horse is going to struggle. So interpretation comes to a real, a real massive point in, in, in my teaching because I want to remove those, those muddy points. Because what happens is all of a sudden you have people wanting to use a lot of pressure because of an interpretation they've had. And that becomes a real relational problem for people in life too. It's true. I mean, it's, it, in essence, it comes down to a language, right? 
That's if you great. don't speak the language, you're not going to be effective. And what I like is, is you bring up, I use the analogy of leaders and superiors, right? Everybody mm-hmm. has had a superior or a boss in their life. And you do things that that person asks for the simple fact of their rank or position in the employee hierarchy, right? Then yeah. you have those same exact folks that might not be supervisors or your boss, but they're true leaders, right? They're individuals that motivate you and push you to yeah. be better, <laughs> And just their mere presence alone, right, is motivating. And and that's what I try to convey to people is you want to be a leader for your horse. You don't want to be your horse's boss, right? That's right. There's times where you have to step up and take charge, absolutely. But that's part of leadership, right? Right. But it's creating, it's creating a desire in the horse to want to be around you, to want to work for you, to want to explore things with you. And, and if you take the simple approach of, you know, hey – Instead of let's go out to the arena and we're going to do A, B, C, and D, or we're going to work on A, B, C, and D. Hey, let's just go have fun and see what A, B, C, and D produces, right? Yeah, exactly. And be accepting of the pitfalls and be accepting of the failures because that's inevitable part of learning processes. There's going to be failures and there cannot be successes without it. Totally. And I think it comes down to listening. You know, a lot of times it's a very one-way street. We have this perspective or this thing we want to get done and we're just going to kind of pound our way through it and we're not necessarily listening to how the horse feels about it and and i think it's all in balance like you say you know you there's going to be times when we have to give guidelines and boundaries but but a lot of times and that's often what i see is that we're kind of using a leadership conversation to just kind of bully our way through things and yeah like words can get pretty muddy because they have they have so many such a broad definition um but in the end i always say it's like well is does the horse feel does the horse feel safe and at peace after you've done the thing you're doing. So, you know, have you, have you, have you built a relationship or have you expended it? Yeah. And again, I think about that with people as well. So how do you develop in, in human beings, how do you develop that interpretation characteristic? So, and I'll just say this, for example, when I was early on in my journey with horsemanship and kind of in that transitional phase of, Hey, things aren't going right. I need to find a better way. Um, oftentimes I wouldn't be seeing success and I would think, okay, why isn't the horse doing whatever? Yeah. Yeah. Then as the transition took place, I started to ask myself, okay, what am I doing that the horse believes I'm asking this when in fact I'm trying to achieve another goal? Right. Yeah. So how do you, how do you help people develop their understanding of either what they're asking of the horse, how the horse is responding and kind of finding that balance, like you talked about, that sweet spot almost between what's being asked of a horse and what's actually being performed. Um, A lot of times I end up, I love that as a basic conversation as some of the round pen work because it's it's a space where there's a lot of muddy conversations, you know, just in regards. I, I jokingly say that North America just took just took the post out of their round pen. Yeah. You know, it's like a, an old, really Western, more dominant based mm-hmm. space. You know, you're trying to kind of break a horse or whatever. Um, but I, my first com- my first point is I, I often will speak about relational horsemanship and that relational horsemanship or this style is really about meeting horses needs and that that demonstrates by them not, not being, you know, not being full of sweat. They're not, they're not dog tired and doing what you say because of some level of fatigue or exhaustion that you you're able to meet a need and the horse could actually process what you're saying mm-hmm. so it start in a level of anxiety and you're able to bring them to a place of peace where they they're ha- more more engaged with you than they are outside the pen 
And so that comes down to meeting the needs. And I, I look at needs and three kind of three pillars. So mind, space and pressure. So mind is, is just who's taking what is going on in my environment and who's taking care of that. So you see some of these horses as more herd bound horses or, you know, very observant of their environment. Space horses, I think that one's a bit more obvious. You see a lot of these horses that are they're looking to engage you. They're looking to connect with you. A lot of times, you know, people get quite emotional about these kind of horses because it, they think it's rude or disrespect or whatever. But a lot of these horses are just seeking communication. Yeah, they're trying to find leadership, not necessarily dominate space. Totally, totally. And then pressure horses are horses that are much more sensitive to pressure effects. So, you know, so they need to know how to handle pressure. And so I do a lot of work on helping the horses in the pen understand. Actually, uh, just released just recently on YouTube um, a video on this one, just on helping um, a mentally stuck horse think more in the pen. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, yeah, I'll work with little bits of pressure in thought-provoking ways, not fear-based ways, to get them to change what they're thinking about. So you're really working on changing their thought, not necessarily just moving their bodies. And so it really starts connecting to what they're thinking and, and not necessarily what they're physically doing. So that's a step back in the process of, of a horse's act. Um, and so then once we get once you've developed the leadership, again, leadership to me is when you when you have developed a space where a horse feels safe. And then secondly, we talk about athleticism. So athleticism is a whole different boat. That's that's understanding the physiology of how a horse moves. And it's um, in understanding what their body does, then you develop, you have the ability to develop a knowledge on how they move and become athletic. So a lot of times that plays down into knowledge. So you have to understand the bones and the muscles, and then you have to start understanding progression. Um, So that takes you into, you know, what, what does it actually mean to develop a horse's body in a way that's not dominance based? So Which is so uh, hard for us being apex predators, right? Exactly. We want to make submission. So a lot of times, you know, we want to get into positions where we're actually doing, we're asking them for, you know, we're trying to develop balance and collection, but we're doing it in a more submissive way where we're taking their body from them. Mm-hmm. So uh, it's, it's a real, it's a real interesting, it's a real interesting journey where you're trying to meet needs, but you're not trying to dominate the body in the process which really drew me that really uh, kind of haven't talked about that part, but um, my journey has been as kind of high school cowboy. So through more of a California style of the hackamore and the spade, as it has been in the classical system of more of a, like a classical dressage style where, you know, it's very, very process based and, and quite slow in the journey. If you would compare it to more of the Western style. And so head positions and what their back does and how their legs move and what their bodies should do. And, you know, the balancing of the shoulders, just such a, such a progression to it. So that that's been a really beautiful blend for me to understand what it means to meet a horse's needs, but then also to understand how their bodies are supposed to work. And because I'm not, I'm not in any discipline. I don't have a discipline that I do. I don't, I don't actually have any rules that I have to follow. So I allow the, I allow the horse to be my primary rule and that's nothing against showing. I, I don't have anything against it, but it just has given me a real freedom. You know, I'm of the same mindset. When I got back into it, I kind of wanted to go the team roping route just because mm-hmm. I needed to, personally, I needed to fill the competitive void that that was missing from uh, baseball. I grew up playing baseball quite a bit. Uh, okay. But then once I started to get into horsemanship, 
I'm fascinated by everything that is done on horses. I mean, you go all the way back to war horses, right? And yeah. you go through all of the evolution internationally of mm. polo horses and reining horses and even simple stuff, right? Trail horses. There's yeah. so much to it. And I think there's there's so many things that needs to be learned. It's hard in a way. I, I just get excited about the volume of it, right? But I could see yeah. where people would be so overwhelmed because, well, this discipline says you need to do this. And yeah. this isn't collection by this definition, but it is by this <laughs> discipline, you know? And, totally. and focusing on the horse creates, in my opinion, creates a more well-rounded product because you're focusing on the needs of that animal, not what the discipline defines that animal needs to look like. Totally. And after you start kind of getting into that, you start really sensing what, what freedom feels like through the muscles and the bones. So you can feel how the body wants to move versus when you can release your mind from trying to position them in a certain position. Mm -hmm. And then you can start feeling what that mental freedom feels like in their physical body, which to me is the most exhilarating time when you have their bodies moving perfectly in symmetry as to how they were made and their mind is just as free you know it's it starts to get pretty uh that's where the excitement comes from that's a huge success right because oftentimes i mean there's so much to it a horse with a busy mind is going to have musculoskeletal issues it's just like Uh, like in a human being right we carry stress we get knots in our muscles we're tight we're tense um so when you are able to work consistently enough for a long enough period of time to free up both, both, both from a musculoskeletal standpoint and from a mental standpoint. I mean, that's, it's impressive work. Yeah. It's, it's really what that would be. That would be the, the high goal is just to be able to, to find the balance between those two sides. Exactly. And, and exactly right. When a horse gets anxious, they get tight. Yeah. Their body stiffens. Well, and as soon as their body stiffens, they tighten their back, they drop on the front end, they can't use their bodies. So that's a, I think that's that's actually a, a really cool thing that I see just in the way the horse was made is the horse was actually made to succeed physically only in relationship because when a horse when a, so I talk about the horse's back as their defensive muscles and mm-hmm. their under as their relational muscles and uh, when a horse gets into a defensive state or they're worried at all about what you're doing their back tightens and their spine drops and now they're forehanded and they can't actually use themselves. But when you can meet a horse's needs and they feel safe, their back relaxes, and then they can activate the smaller muscles, which are their their collection muscles or their 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 base muscles. So it's like it's like the way they were made means that you have to be there with them relationally before you can use their body physically. You know, you, you don't get the you don't get the goods without meeting the needs. You know, it's like it's like. It's like I don't know. It's such a cool thing. Oh, no, mind. it's incredible. I, I mean, I think about times when I, uh, when I got the horse that I ride now, um, I guarantee that horse had probably never ridden collected a day in his life. It was a team roping horse. And mm-hmm. he was your stereotypical amateur rope horse. He's pulled out on the right. weekends. They rope the dickens out of him and they put him back five days of the week. Right. You know, they don't do anything to prepare him. He's, he's uh, expected the world of in performance on the weekends. And, yeah. Um, folks just didn't take the time to figure them out. And, and that's no knock to the people that owned them or rode them before. They had their priorities and goals and, and they achieved it. But uh, when I got to riding them, I just, to me, I didn't find any comfort in that, right? Mm. And yeah. and I knew something wasn't right. And for me, it was just, it was my history in team sports. I didn't mm-hmm. feel like this horse and I were teammates. 
Right. And then we start working. I was riding with a mentor of mine in Texas a while back, and we started focusing on collection and talking about so many misconceptions, right? That people work on the horse's head so often to get collection, and they don't pay attention to the feet, and they don't pay attention to, to musculoskeletal alignment and getting that horse to really pick up their their barrel. And getting to the point now where you can almost cue this horse up to collection and not even have anything attached to his face, you know, just on legs alone. Uh, It was incredible to just go out and ride the horse and let them do their own thing and ask for that collection and feel the softness take place in that horse's body and almost feel those muscles melt under the saddle underneath you. It was, it was a pretty cool feeling. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Well, that's where the, I think that's the thing too, is when a, when a person is, you know, the relationship is their desire. It really is a challenge to take things from a horse, you know, and, and, uh, more dominance based that, you know, dominance can kind of seep its way into, to anything. And I, you know, I, that was, a there was uh two kind of key focuses that I kind of took out of my time with Harry. And the one thing he said to me when I went and started teaching was never be afraid to tell someone you don't know yeah, an answer. That's you know, just awesome. go find it. You don't know it, go find it, but don't try to fake it. And um, the other one was, is that your frustration starts where your knowledge ends, you know, and, and that's, and that's been sweet because so much of dominance comes in when we get frustrated and we don't know, we don't really know what's going on. And we just try to kind of pound our way through something. And I'll tell you and, before, sorry to interject, but before I'd get out there riding and, and have those frustrating moments, right. And you leave the arena or you leave the pen or the pasture or whatever. And it's just been nothing but a pissing contest and it makes it miserable on both parties. But to take the change in perspective right? And be met with some kind of challenge in the course of a session and now take that learning approach rather than a a fight. It's so much more exhilarating to me. Totally. Well, and, and I always felt that, you know, anytime I've ever, and people ask me this, so how do I know if I'm, you know, building boundaries or if I'm dominating a horse, you know, that's kind of a big question. And and I always say, there's a lot to that. If you, if you feel dirty, if you feel that your insides are, you know, not, not, you know, you, you can tell by your heart if, if you have crossed a line, if you've stepped into a spot where you're just forced in your own hand and you're pushing your way through it, you will not feel satisfied or positive inside. And, but if you feel like, you know, you can still really feel relationally sound and you feel like within the inside of you, cause I, I truly believe that there is a, there is a kind of a frequency or a resonance that's built into this world mm-hmm. where, relationship can be felt you know you yes. can you can, you know whether it's horses or people or whatever and i've really tried to to feel through that a bit but you know so you can you can tell if you if you leave the arena and you kind of feel gross you know you've probably crossed the line even if you've been told to do it i like that a lot like, that's a great it's a great it's a great common indicator that people can relate to cuz the struggle with a lot of this horsemanship stuff is it's a feel right and how do you teach feel Totally. Um, it's very, very difficult to do. And, and uh, I want to kind of touch on, and, and I know there's so much to the relationship with a horse and you got to meet a horse and a rider where they're at. But if an individual was at that point where I'm not, I'm not successful with my horse, enough is enough. I need to start learning more either about me or the horse. Mm. What are some of the first things or some of the more simple tasks that you would walk an individual through to kind of help them start learning some of these concepts of paying attention to the horse and developing that relationship. Yeah. Yeah. That's a, that's a, that's a big one. Um, 
But usually, usually where I start with my teaching is, is I always want to start with a loose horse and I want to start with a person in the space and I want to see how they interact because most of the time what you're, what, where people and horses start bumping heads is usually where, you know, people will build these pillars in their lives of, you know, the way they're going to act and the way they're going to respond. And usually there's a misconception in how they're interpreting what the horse is doing and then they're acting out on that misinterpretation with strength in a very divisive manner. I was so going to say, it's horse, a battle of defenses. Totally. So both of them are defensive now. So yes. now, so, so most of the time, now the person says, well, I've got a trail riding issue or I, my horse won't take their left lead. And, and 99% of the time, I can tell within the first 20 minutes with a horse and person where the problem is because the horse might be holding a bunch of tension in their body and not want to take a lead. But it's because there's so much negative anticipation in the horse about that relational irregularity. Mm -hmm. So the first thing is, is I want to clear up those mind frames. And then I want to teach a person. So teaching feel to me is probably one of my biggest pillars. Because because that has been a challenge in the in the in my older or, you know, where I in my riding with a bunch of cowboys, most of those guys, it's just like, you got to get out there and ride more and you got to be feeling for something. But I feel like, so I talk a lot about, uh, and I'm jumping ship on my comment here, but um, I talk a lot about the difference between lightness and softness. And I say that lightness is feeling the quickness of the outside move, and softness is feeling the internal elements of the horse release. So it would be the mind and the muscles yes. versus the movements. Yes. And so, so that, that's a big piece that I start with with people. Um, to, to start feeling change on the inside of a horse. So then we'll start t- you know, talking about taking a feel in your halter and trying to sense was the difference between what you just felt, softness or lightness. So some of these horses, you know, you touch the lead rope and they are going to fly forward. They will never put tension in that line, but they're as tight, excuse me, as, tight as a fiddle string. Yeah, and just so muscle bound. Trying, trying to get people connected to the differences of what's actually happening inside the horse. So that lightness and softness kind of concept connects with your question of, you know, how do I, how do I help these folks? And it's, it's a matter of getting them, getting them connected first to what the actual problem is, dividing them away from needing a quick fix from the problem they came to me with. Yeah, that's a big deal right there. And then, and then once you reestablish that base, and now they're getting real excited about how the base feels because now they actually feel like they have a relationship, then I all of a sudden will drop back in let's try and lope your horse now, you know? And, and so then you end up getting back to the problem or, or, Hey, let's leave the property or let's, you know, where your horse doesn't want to leave the property. Well, the reason your horse don't want to leave the property is because they like being with their buddies more than they like being with you. And I know that might sound heavy and I, and you know, I'm being pretty blunt there, but most of the time, you you know, you're quite cautious in how you would approach that. But um, you're wanting to get people to understand, you know, when a horse feels safe with you, then they're much more comfortable to do those things. Yeah, it's incredible, right? There's just there's so much to it. It's so fascinating, all of it, in my opinion. And and that mm-hmm. that was the hardest thing for me. And in, in my early steps was understanding that connection with the horse. And yeah. I mean, heck, f- for all of us, at some point, we didn't know what lightness was. We didn't know what softness was. You know, and yeah. and I try to teach forgiveness with folks because if you don't know what the successful feeling or action is. How are you gonna? How are you gonna work that horse towards it? 
Yeah, that's right. Right. So you got to you got to be forgiving in your own right and learn it and and understand all the fumbles and struggles that come with that. And then we'll work on presenting that to the horse and and it's all a process and there's a million ways to do it, you know, and you just got to you got to play off the animal, you got to play off the human. Well, and I think that leads me to the other side. So so that's kind of how I would handle people more in the horse specific side, but in this work and I kind of shared that about myself, but I have I have found in my own personal pursuits, because I, I think people forget that the horse also has to deal with you. You know, like the horses are all, they, we walk up into their life and we're bringing whatever we got going on. And the horse is trying to figure out what the heck. Like and they those were poor just, suckers never had a choice. They didn't have no choice. <laughs> They're eating grass and all of a sudden your energetic wasp nest shows up. Yeah. And you're, want, you're wanting to get them to do a bunch of stuff. And when they don't do it, you're getting after, you know, so it kind of rolls out. So I, I try to encourage people to really, really start understanding yourself. You got to know what your tendencies are. You got to know what you do with your own energy. You know, you got to know what sets you off so that you're not, you're not putting your stuff on your horses. And I think that plays into the forgiveness piece, you know, to, to recognize, I talk about grace a lot too. Um, you gotta, you gotta be able to forgive yourself for the, the areas you've overstepped and you also have to be thankful for the grace that God put in these amazing creatures to handle us you know so um you know just recognizing that that in this process of trying to get your horse to do more you need to be pushing yourself in an area where you're doing more for some people that might be you know committing to working out or whatever for others it might be to really deepening the relationships they have at home or or whatever they've got going on where because the problem with dominance is that it is a perspective of that that lacks responsibility so it's kind of always that the horse has to let go of stuff or this person is the reason or whatever and so it really changes it from a a place of being able to take responsibility for what i'm bringing to the relationship and i try to see balance in that i see some folks who think you know, everything the horse does is their fault. And I think that can be taken to an extreme as well. Um, but it surely, we have to be careful with more of the, you know, the dominant side is predominantly when we see that everything the horse did was their fault. Um, so anyways, there's kind of a, there's a personal side to it that we need to be working on. And then there's the horse side. And I think when people start really focusing on what what's going on within themselves, I think that opens up feel because we're not rejecting connection anymore which is a lot of reasons why some people feel like they can't connect with their horse. They can't feel, but we spend a lot of time blocking everything out in life, you know, building up a lot of walls that don't let us, don't let us feel stuff. And then we wonder why when we pick up the reins, we can't sense the horse change. I'll tell you, I'm adamant. The the greatest gift the horse has given me is grace and forgiveness, right? In my own right, in my own reflection of myself. And I mean, you hit the nail on the head with a lot of this stuff. Is it that it's, it's inherently hard for the human being to admit fault. Yeah. That's I mean, I great. think that's just, that's, that's in all of us, right? No matter how quote unquote good or bad you are. Um, but part of that grace and forgiveness is just that, is it when, when something's not going right and this doesn't have to be, yes, we spend a lot of time talking about horses right now, but this, this portion that we're going to spend on doesn't have to be in the pin per se. Um, yeah. When things aren't going right and your gut is telling you it's not going right, First, you even have to be willing to listen. Then once you're willing to listen and understand what's going on, you have to have that inner grace and forgiveness to, to, to be accepting of the fault or whatever the issue might be and, and 
really spend time in developing and focusing on the improvement, right? And you're not yeah. going to have that answer right away. It's not going to be there. Because if you did have the answer, you never would be in the place, in the instance in the first place, right? That's right. Um, but it's a very, very difficult mountain to to navigate because it sucks having to look in sometimes. And 90% of horsemanship, I think, it is just that. You got to look in the mirror first. Well, and it develops a whole level of, a whole different level of empathy for everybody, you know, because you stop because when 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 it is a, a bit more of a dominance base and you're you're living focusing on what the world around you is doing and you don't change on the inside, you kind of lose a sense of what it takes to change yeah. and how hard it can be. Which 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 when we see that right, we gain a whole different level of how challenging it is for our horses because we have this big logical brain where we can process through stuff. And they've got this, you know, real tiny cerebral processor and they'll go from thinking to flight in way quicker time than we will. So, you know, it's, it's like, we got to give them grace on that scale too. Right. So it's this, it's this, uh, yeah, there's so many, there's so many sides to it, which I guess this is where the whole relational perspective just kicks in. Right. Because I, and I think my biggest struggle too is, is that I, I would say that I really struggle when things aren't just right. Cause I like things to feel right. Yes. <laughs> and so I, real hard on myself and in the past I could get hard on my horses because I because I wanted everything to just to be right but I, I think that's you know the other reason why I call this a horseman's pursuit because I'm kind of just done with it uh, maybe it's maybe it's age but you know I'm going to be 40 next summer mm-hmm. and uh, you know it's uh, been doing this for quite a while and to, to now where I'm at is it's like here's what I'm doing and I'm going to do my best by my horses and if somebody thinks that's maybe too slow that's okay and if some people think I'm moving too quick that's fine too you know I'm just going to be doing my best and trying to better myself and deepen my horsemanship in the process and share my message with whomever wants to listen. <laughs> For me, it's been, it's been a similar experience, you know, uh, uh, very much type A personality. I'm, I'm all in on everything that I do. I'm going to strive to be the best at it. Um, I don't care if you have more experience or you're more athletic or you're more intelligent. Um, I'm going to compete. Right. And, and oftentimes, um, I wouldn't be so accepting of failure and right. I wouldn't be, I wouldn't be reasonable with it at all, you know? And, and yeah. the, the longer I go in this journey, um, that's obviously navigated by horsemanship. It's, it's exactly what you talked about. You know, let's see what we can figure out today. We're going to work as hard as we can at it. I might get knocked off the stool, but <laughs> I, I got back on it before I got the skill set, right? So you can knock me down as many times as you want. Yeah. Um, and once I started becoming more understanding of the learning process and, and the processes that are in, involved in growth and development, things just got so much easier for me mentally, um, emotionally, things of that regard. There wasn't so much pressure to perform that I had placed on myself. Yeah. Well, and I think that's the biggest challenge with horses is because if your horse is a personal reflection of you, then it's real easy to lose your junk with them because you need them to look like something so that you can look valued or mm-hmm. validated. Mm-hmm. And and that's a hard one for for anybody who's because I I resonate with you on the whole competitive piece because I you know I was a tried played sports throughout my whole yeah. career or whatever you know and so then that's that's a thing where you gotta you gotta be able to work through that that this is a relationship this is not yes this is not uh you know that 
the growth and development of this relationship should not be value based. I think that's the piece, right? Or or on or on if the horse performs the movement perfectly, so someone else is impressed. Yeah, you know. Yeah. Anyways, that's the that was the biggest struggle for me was or that was a big one, right? Is just to be able to release that to say this is a journey and a process. And, and we're just going to continue working our way through it. And it's fostered in me personally, it's fostered quite a bit of empathy, you know, cause you could, you could be just crushing it, right? And you're having the best day a horseman could ever have on a horse, but that horse is just not doing it. It's just not their day, you know? And, and I started looking at personal relationships that way. And, and I talk with a lot of people in my circle and, and you start to learn what you can control and what you can't control and where you should place your energy. And, Mm-hmm. And a lot of it was that, you know, hey, I've always been nice to that person. How come they're treating me like this or that yeah. or, you know, and sometimes it's not even my my emotion to get involved in. They're having a bad yeah. day. There's something in their life that set them off and it's nothing that I need to be worried about. You know, don't take yeah. it personal. Move on. Yeah. I like to really think I, I I try to live by a lot of affirmations. So they're just statements that I that, that, that really mean a lot to me. And one of those statements is that I want to try to add value to everything I touch. Yes. So whether it's my horsemanship or, you know, communicating with my wife or my kids or whatever, I'm going to try to add value. And, and whether that value is hugely observable in one day, as long as I'm trying, I'm trying to add value, you know, I'm trying Mm -hmm. to something done, but I'm also trying to add value. So that, that moves to, I train dogs as well. And, uh, you know, so whether it's working my dogs on stock or training my horses or whatever, you're, when you have that mind frame, it, it just changes a little bit of your outcome because yeah. you you care a little more about about uh, how they receive or or that you're offering out a good deal. I'll tell you, my my mood just seems to be a lot lighter, right? Since I've tried to apply yeah. that approach. Yeah, good totally. stuff. So. As we wind up with every episode, uh, I want to give folks the opportunity. Uh, we've spent a lot of talking about your your approach to horsemanship, uh, your approach to life. If folks wanted to consume more of your content, follow what you do, where can, where can they find you? So I have uh, I have a website, joshnickel.com. And uh, just, I guess, for three years now, we've been uh, – we've I've started a, a membership site, actually, where people can – join me in different in different ways um and uh so what i do is i actually drop videos or i have live i have live videos and then i also have just recorded videos um that's been building a pool so people can jump in on membership the level one is a way where people can look at my introductory work level two allows them to to be on with me live where i share some video footage of something i've done or at a clinic or something really unique and then they can ask questions, um, and then that that archive is there for them to look through and, and study. And then uh, my level three actually allows people to have live lessons with me as well as access to everything else. So that's been that's been awesome. I think honestly that was my biggest struggle is as I was started doing clinics and I travel all over Canada. We have we've tried to stay in Canada as much as we can, um, and uh, to date. And uh, you go, I can only go one place a year now. And so you go places and you give this message and people get excited, but they can't track with you. Yes, yes. So that was really the heart behind the website is that it allowed people – now, you know, it was no fault of mine. I, it wasn't that I wasn't giving enough. So if people wanted to connect, they they now have that opportunity. Um, and so, yeah, we have a, a, a blog on the website where people can t- touch in there. Um, we're quite present on Facebook. We've got a Facebook group where people can kind of – we're really we're very community based. I find that a lot of times people feel very isolated in their little areas because mm-hmm. they're all over. 
And so this was just a way where we could start developing community where people could feel supported and held up in their process wherever they were at in their learning. And I think that was a big thing for this style is, is people get pretty anxious when they're at the beginning, you know, that they, they feel like they don't know enough or whatever. And the idea was just, just to create a space where everybody could feel welcome to, to start their journey or to advance and, uh, yeah, just learn something. Good stuff. So the end of every episode, I like to uh, give the guests the opportunity to kind of share their legacy or words to live by. So in your journey with relational horsemanship or in life, what is something that you would like to share to people or what is what is something that you always convey to folks? And I know we talked a little bit uh, before about adding value, but do you have any more that you would like to add to that? Yeah, you know, I, I honestly just encourage people to just continue deepening their desire to, to develop relationships with with people and their horses and not, and to, uh, to, um, not be so quick to emotionalize relationships. You know, most of the time when we're yeah, that's doing a great that, point. that's when that, and I look at, I look at emotions often like, like an alarm system, they're not good and they're not bad. It's, you know, there's, there's positives and negatives to it all, but when there's an emotion that comes up that has more of a negative vexation to it, a lot of times that can be just an alarm system that something's just off and it should cause us to go searching not necessarily take that moment out on on their horse or on anybody else, you know. And so then that's really where the education part comes in and the searching deepens, you know, just the, you know, go in and try to sort out what's going on for you. Uh, try to understand your horses more uh, instead of just because most of the damage that's done with our horses or with people is when when that moment overtakes us and now we're really up in our pressure and that's when we start breaking relationships. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, Josh, I'll tell you what, it's been great talking to you with the last hour. It's flown by on my end, I'll tell you. Um, we wish you the best in, in all you got going in the future. And, and hopefully this is the first of many conversations. You betcha. Well, I sure appreciate you taking the time and this has been great. All right, brother. We'll talk to you later. Bye for now. Thanks again, everybody, for listening to this episode of Let Freedom Reign Podcast. Again, you can find us on social media under Let Freedom Reign Podcast. If you want to support the growth of this podcast, go to patreon.com forward slash let freedom reign podcast. Again, we thank you and we'll see you on the next one.